Right, hello and welcome back to another episode of the Longball Football Podcast, a weekly podcast by two brothers about all things football. In Portugal, you're listening to myself, Albert, and as always, I'm joined by my brother, Barney. How are you doing, Barney? How's your week been? It's good, man. I feel like I haven't really had much to say in, when you asked me this <laughs> in the last few weeks, but I've played some football in the first time in over a year. Oh, really? Wicked. So it was after school club, I was helping out. I'm usually doing like a trampoline and slash basketball group and then um nice. the football group the football group didn't have enough players so they merged with us and then it's a little kick about towards the end mate i've still got the touch i'll just say that <laughs> <laughs> ball pops out it's bouncing it's a sort of 50 50 situation i sort of okay. managed managed to get there early and what i do i sort of angle my run bring my leg out to the side and with the sort of side of my heel just pop it up over myself and the 13 year old boy uh, over the top <laughs> and uh, yeah <laughs> I've still got the touch <laughs> fantastic but how are you doing man you um, you obviously had the, the graveyard shift last night 9.15 on a Monday night <laughs> Warren's be sad <laughs> yeah mate listen that is my level of commitment to this podcast and to our Twitter followers I am there ready to provide content at any opportunity now as so for the, for the listeners at home me and Barney were joking last night about the fact that Morarens versus B-Sad at 9.15pm on Monday night may well be the shittest Premier League fixture of the whole season. I think you can really argue that all those circumstances combined to make it a terrible, terrible fixture. So naturally, I was committed to watching it. And of course, Barney, I was rewarded, not by Kevin Morales, which is what I was hoping, although he did come on and, and he did look okay, actually, for the 20 minutes or so that he played. But by an incredible bicycle kick goal, not something you see every day. Uh, completely forgotten the name of the player who did it, but um, Lacerdia, Lacerdia. Okay, yeah, yeah, he, and yeah, fantastic goal. Uh, it was four one in the end, so there was plenty to uh, plenty to enjoy. If even if he got goals, yeah, even if I was kind of on my phone after time, I'm not going to lie. Um, yeah, <laughs> no, <laughs> Lacerdia, man, like it was a really nice celebration. Others, it's like. Although it's only about a baby, but he was he ran into the crowd as well, didn't he? He had someone in the crowd. Well, he missed an easier, much easier chance earlier. So I think he was very, very pleased to, to get the goal and a spectacular goal as well. Go look at the highlights of that if you've not seen it already. Oh, it was great. Um, definitely gold of the round, wasn't it? Gold of the Jordana. Well, we should say thank a big thank you to everybody who listened to, to last week's show. Uh, I know we've had a few Twitter followers since then, and maybe there are some people who are listening for the first time. So welcome to anyone who's listening for the first time. And thank you to everybody who maybe listened to last week's show for the first time. It was a bit of a marathon show uh, last week with all the transfer news that we had to do. So kudos to anyone who stuck through it and listened to the whole thing. Uh, obviously, we talked about all the main transfer news, but it's fair to say that there was some stuff that uh, didn't really make it in because there was just so much news to get through. I know, Barney, that you had a few uh, transfers from sort of lower down the table, less less obvious clubs that maybe you wanted to talk about. I don't know if you wanted to mention a few of those now before we get going. Oh, yeah, I think it's worth pointing out a few of these players because, like, well, you know, your Twitter feed can get bogged down in sort of the Premier League signings, rumours even, not even, like, confirmed signings. So yeah. there was a few uh, names that popped up which really caught my eye. So first of all, Ruka, who had quite a lot of business in this window. A couple that caught my eye was Alan Ruiz, um, Argentinian attacking midfielder. I think he's an ex-sporting man, Albert. I think played 34 games for Sporting in the league. I've never watched him play for Sporting, but I think that sort of, having that experience were useful to for a team like Aruga. And then, and then of course, another attacking midfielder in uh, Wellington Nem, the Brazilian. Um, I couldn't remember if it was FIFA or Pro Evolution, where he's like one of the youngsters, like the gems. It was like FIFA 15 or something like that, yeah. Yeah, it was really early. 
but he I mean, he played for Shakhtar Donetsk um, a few years back, so like he's he's got he's going to bring a, little, a bit more quality to them as well. But the one I, who who's really stood up for me for Aruka is um, the signing of Bruno Marquez, the twenty-two-year-old centre forward from they signed from Santos in Brazil because well he's my sort of player. He's a big lanky striker, but yeah, he's got a bit of skill. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and I think we saw a glimpse of him against Sporting. So I think. He's one to keep an eye out for. And another player um, who Estoril signed, obviously looking to replace Chiquinho, who departed for Wolves. Um, a Spanish bringer by the name of Jordi Mbula. They signed on loan from Mallorca. He's an ex-Barcelona youth player. What I like about him is that he's got lots of pace. And I think, mm. you know, I think he looks like a signing that is, is going to be to replace Chiquinho. So that's one to keep an eye on. Um, this player, Albert, for Porto Menendez, who they signed, I think you mentioned him last week. It was um, the striker Ricardo Matos. Yes. Um, yeah. Who they signed from, is it Olienens? Olienens, yeah. Another Algarve side, so he's not had far to travel. Yeah, so was he 21-year-old striker? And that's a jump of two two leagues, isn't yep. it, from Olienens? Yep. So that's interesting. But I think he's got nine goals in 12 games this season. So that's going to be an option for Porto Menendez where they need to they need an out-and-out striker to compete with Fabricio, I think. A more traditional striker than some of the other players they've got. It will be fascinating, though, as you say, to see if he can transfer that kind of clear goal-scoring prowess that he's got, albeit at a quite low level, to the top division yeah. in Portugal. That would be fascinating. But yeah, I'm, I'm keeping an eye out for him. I'd love to see, you know, I'd love to see his first first appearance for Porto Menendez. No matter what, country you're in when someone makes a jump of two leagues you know there's going to be quite a significant step up and standard so yeah Ricardo Matos for Porto Menz is a striker to keep him out and then um, Santa Clara Albert um, the Japanese striker they signed uh, Tagawa 22 year old striker I think he's scored already hasn't he Didn't he, he score scored about five minutes into his debut yeah it was a good goal as well I was trying to remember, did Marita do the exact same thing at the exact same point this time last season on his debut? Marita did score in his debut, I remember that, yeah, or at least very, very early in his career. So, yeah, I think he looks, and you know, I, I said it last time as well, I think I just sort of just trust Santa Clara to, they've already used the Japanese league as, as a great source of players and a few other clubs have looked to do that as well. But yeah, he looks like a, they've obviously got Kryzen, but they've needed a, a, a goal scorer in, in that 11, that will help them. I think this is the next one. It's probably my most exciting one. It's player Tondeo sign. It's a player by the name of Matthias Lacava, um, a 19-year-old Venezuelan winger who I, I expect to replace um, the gap that John Murillo's left. He's been at Barcelona's Lazio and Benfica youth teams in the past. I'll, I'll, I'll give you a little guess. Yeah, when he was at Barcelona, 13-year-old, left-footed, right-winger, uh, bearing in mind he's Venezuelan. Can you guess what uh, people called him uh, when he was at Barcelona's? <laughs> Mini Messi? Venezuela Messi, yeah. It's always <laughs> fucking messy, isn't it? Jesus. <laughs> and finally, um, Vizela signing of Tinyao Gao, the 22-year-old Chinese striker, hmm. who I think is going to be the first Chinese player ever to play in the Portuguese league. So I had a little look at uh, a great little compilation video of him on uh, YouTube, but the guy can head a ball. I mean, he, <laughs> he got 10, 10 goals in the Chinese Super League last season. Eight were from his head. He's a, he's a, he's a, <laughs> a poacher in the box. And he's a good option if Fazella decide they want to abandon the fancy footwork and go route one, uh, clearly. <laughs> well, look, there you go. Plenty of players to keep an eye out for. And I think what that illustrates is just how much transfer activity was going on all across uh, the Premier League table, not just at the big clubs. And there is just one final piece of transfer news that we should do. And I promise we will move on swiftly to the games of the week after this, because obviously today, Barney, uh, the news that Pitsy uh, moved to Istanbul by section here was finalised. Um, a lot of Benfica fans have been saying he should move on for a long time. I think just quickly, I'd be interested to get your thoughts on Pitsy about what you think uh, the right thing to do was. Obviously, he was involved uh, in a bit of a bust-up in JJ's last few days in charge. Uh, very experienced player, 
been a great player for Benfica in the past, but not exactly been their top performer in the last couple of seasons. I've seen a few people say that um, this is what Benfica do. They sort of have players who perform very well for them and then keep around for a bit too long. They sort of leave on a bad note. The, the, the thing I've got to say about this transfer, Albert, is like you mentioned there, there was this bust up with Jorge Jesus, which sort of was the, the start of this whole debacle of Jorge Jesus, which ultimately ended up in him leaving. You now got the guy who sort of was involved in this moving away from the club. I think Andre Almeida, who was also involved, has probably played his last game for Benfica from his recent performances. The reason I'm saying this is because I feel like they probably would be in a better position if they'd kept the organization got rid of the players, which I, I think I agree with several Benfica fans when I'm saying uh, I'm not I'm not really sorry to see him go. Um, oh, is that really harsh? <laughs> no, no, no. I think that's fine. I think a lot of Benfica fans will agree with you. I think it is important to remember that there was a point when when Pizzi was arguably one of the best players in the league and such a key player for Benfica. Um, but I think what a lot of again what a lot of Benfica fans have said online is that you know Pizzi's reputation has been tarnished somewhat to the point where you know the fact that Benfica fans are now happy to see him leave when before he was such a, a key important player is poor management and poor treatment of a player who really should have left uh, under much more more positive circumstances. Well, I tell you what, Barney, why don't we then start uh, the games of the week this week with Benfica then, seeing as we were kind of just chatting about them. There's plenty of games to talk about this week. I think we're going to run through the big three quite quickly. Uh, and then there's some massive games uh, from outside the big three that we're going to spend a good chunk of our time talking about. But to start with Benfica, Barney, um, they beat Tondela 3-1 away from home with goals from Everton, Darwin Nunes and Gonzalo Ramos. I think personally that it was a much improved performance from Benfica. Uh, The thing that I said on Twitter after the game was that they just seem to be playing with a lot less weight on their shoulders than they have done in recent weeks. I'm not sure where that's come from, to be honest, because, you know, of course, this was a massive result for them to bounce back from after losing 2-1 at home to Gil Vicente the week before. So perhaps the kind of pressure's off now, the shackles are off, they haven't got much to fight for. I think it was interesting to see Verissimo's comments after the game, essentially saying that the team's aim now is to get to second place, which they're currently six points off. So maybe just having that pressure off uh, has taken the shackles off a bit because a lot of players were playing with freedom and it was a much more positive performance than we've seen in recent weeks. I think the main reason for that was um, the 11 Verissimo went with. I think you look at that team. That's been the 11 for me that I've wanted to see ever since Verissimo's come in charge with Goncalo Ramos coming in at top, Bernardo in midfield and Everton on the wing. For me, those three players I mentioned there are absolutely the players they need to be looking to build their team around. I, I'll highlight Everton in particular for me, but he's the key one because he was their big signing two summers ago. But apart from Darwin, I think he's got the biggest sell-on value. He's got probably the bit, the most talent as well, I would say. And, and we have not seen his true, his full potential yet in a Benfica shirt. And the Verissimo really needs to get that out of him. And I thought he had a great game in this one. We saw, uh, uh, we saw flashes of it against Sporting, obviously that wonderful goal he scored. But once again... The second half of that sporting game, he just sort of fell into the shadows and disappeared. I think the thing about Everton is that a lot of people predicted after George Jesus left that uh, Everton's performances would improve uh, under a different manager, perhaps a manager who was putting less pressure on him. Now, as you say, we saw flashes of that, but it definitely didn't happen straight away. and, And his kind of newfound form that we saw in parts hasn't been completely consistent. So I think what we're seeing with Everton is that it's not just as simple as uh, JJ leaving and him blossoming into the play we'll expect him to be. I think there is still work to be done 
with Everton from a coaching point of view. But he's definitely showing that, uh, as you say, the talent is there and the foundation for him to be a great player for Benfica is definitely there. I think my prediction would be he will keep improving towards the end of the season. And if he stays at Benfica after a good pre-season and a summer off, hopefully he can you know kick on from the beginning of next season in a similar way to play like possibly like Luis Diaz is obviously he might not reach the same heights, but in that same way that Luis Diaz improved from the start of this season, I think uh, Everton, they need to start laying that groundwork now and start working with him as a player in order to uh, reap those benefits in the future. I think comparing him to Diaz is an excellent comparison because like, you know, Diaz wasn't a a main starter, wasn't a a key performer for Porto in in the season before this one. And then, you know, he's hit the ground running and and completely taken his game to another level. Everton can do that. I I haven't got a a doubt about that. So I hope we get to see that from him. But yeah, you know, you've always been a a huge fan of Goncalo Ramos. Definitely. You know, how good was it to see like him getting the start and getting his goal? And he absolutely, I think he absolutely needs to be the partner for Darwin. I think, those two could be a really lethal combination. Yeah, and I think the thing about Gonzalo Ramos as well is that I'm sure that as a young player and as a young striker who's you know probably under a bit of pressure in this team to live up to the potential he showed as a as a as a youth player, I'm sure he's feeling the pressure to put up the numbers in terms of goals to kind of back up his talent. But I think you know, for a long time, everyone who's watched him play for the senior team has been able to see that he's been doing well and playing well and the, the opportunities are there. And despite not getting the goals, there were still good signs that he was going to be a good player for this team. Now, of course, now that he starts to add the goals, add those numbers to his game, I think hopefully that will help boost his confidence. Um, a lot of people online I saw after the game as well saying that him and Darwin up front was the kind of strike combination that, that made the most sense rather than perhaps Darwin Nunes and Juremchuk. Um, I'd be inclined to agree. I would like to see Gonzalo Ramos play up front with, with Darwin more often. I also think he could probably play by himself, to be honest, up front. He does look capable of doing that. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pleased for him because uh, it's been easy to see his talent, even if he hasn't been kind of putting up those goal-scoring numbers. And now if he can start adding those goals to his game, by the end of the season, I'd like to see him with a, a healthy goal tally. And again, you know, a player that, Benfica needs to put faith in because I'm sure, as everyone can see, there's plenty of talent there. I think we shouldn't sort of gloss over this win because I know it is against Tondea, but Tondea can be, you know, the sort of performances we've seen from Verissimo's Benfica haven't been very convincing. You know, they've struggled in games and going to Tondea is always... a a fairly difficult place to go so this was a convincing result this was a good performance and I, I think I've got to agree from what, what you were saying at the beginning I think the fact that the pressure's off the fact that Verissimo's addressed that as well and said look the league's gone now that's going to help them and, and they need to just get the good times coming in, you know, <laughs> the good times rolling again because uh, that's what this club needs they need they need positivity and then they're yeah, they they need to just get the fans back on the side and try and, you know, try and give the fans something to shout about and something to be positive about. Well, let's talk about Porto, Barney. Uh, they also won uh, at the weekend. They beat Aruka 2-0 away from home. That was goals from Vitinha and Mbemba. Two assists from Fabio Vieira. Uh, another, another impressive assist tally from the young man. Now, uh, I'm not sure whether we should be reading too much into this, Barney, so feel free to contradict me if you want, but in my eyes, I think this is still the second game in a row since Diaz left where they've not looked completely convincing in terms of their performance in the way that perhaps they were uh, in the last few games that Diaz was playing for them. But just like last week's game against Maritimo, they did manage, of course, to get those all-important goals that they needed, which got them the win. So there were no issues 
in the end. I just wonder if we're still seeing them kind of in a bit of a transition period now that uh, Diaz has gone, still kind of adjusting as to to where those goals are going to come from. Plenty of good signs from, you know, those young players like Vitinha and Fabio Vieira and the likes of Evan Nilsson that there are more than enough goals in this team. But still, for me, you know, just a little bit creaky uh, in that transition to the kind of post-Luis Diaz-Porto. I think there's, of course, going to be some narrative coming with the Diaz departure that's going to stay in our heads, I think. And I think that can make us try and look for the cracks in this Porto team, which I don't know, man. I think the Porto machine is just so ridiculous at the moment and the fact that Vettini just said right let's just I'm just gonna hit this <laughs> like it was a phenomenal goal wasn't it Barney phenomenal goal it was a phenomenal goal and it's I've watched Vettini play a fair bit this season I don't really remember him seeing him take shots on like that that often and he had he just thought right something needs to happen because like you said they were sort of laboring to find that that opening and oh, man it was absolutely unreal and then of course Fabio Vieira as well just that assist for the second, which just exactly what Porto needed in this moment in the game. And it's your two young players doing it. It was um it's dream stuff. And I think I feel so privileged to be watching these two at the moment. No, I totally agree. I totally agree. And do you know what you just said then? I think I think that's really interesting about uh Vitinha um getting a shot off that perhaps he wouldn't have done, maybe when Luis Diaz in the team. And I think that's just maybe one of the small things this this team now needs to add to their game. They need to understand that. With Luis Diaz gone, the one who was probably the one to take on those kind of chances, other members of the team now need to kind of just add that tiny little bit of bravery to their game, that kind, that little bit of chance taking, which Vitinha did in this game and paid off with a goal. So for more players, you know, try and take a little bit of the goal responsibility on their shoulders. Um, I think we'll see that, as I said before, there are more than enough goals in this team, perhaps spread out in a slightly different way than they were before when Diaz was taking on uh, most of the goal scoring burden, but more than enough goals in this team if they can share them out. And I think, you know, that's really the key thing here is that Vitinha and Fabio Vieira and Evan Nilsson for me, I think will be those players who, if they can keep nurturing that kind of connection that those three players seem to have, the goals will, will come uh, very soon. I think what's interesting, Albert, is, um, you know, talking about goals in this Porto team. Fabio Vieira deserves to be starting. And I think the only way he does start is by taking one of those two strikers out, Evanison or Tremi. That is an interesting dilemma that I think Conchacel has got in his hands because for me, you've got to play Fabio Vieira. I, I, and and so perhaps Evan Nilsson Tremi is the one you look at, although Evan nilsson has been doing very well recently. It's, 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 it's going to be a hard one to work out. I do have a, a quote, Albert, I wanted to read out from Fabio Vieira that I saw today talking about working with Conchacel. Okay. Um, he says this, working with Conchacel, Sometimes it's hard. It has its days, <laughs> but it's part of it. We always want to be at our maximum and he always makes sure that the team is always at our maximum, which is normal. I adapt easily and I feel very good. I just like the fact that <laughs> there's that little bit, you know, you've got a young player, you've got Conscious Al, who I would describe as a formidable manager. Yeah. and he, But he's, you know, he's not afraid just to have that little, you know, it has its days. <laughs> it's just well, it sounds very much like what I expected training under Sergio Conscious Al to be very, uh, very intense. Well, let's quickly do uh, the last game from the big three, Barney. Sporting uh, beating Famalicao 2-0. And it was them beating something of a bogey team of theirs in recent times, which is quite interesting. They've drawn their last three league games uh, against Famalicao, but put that fixture to bed this week. It was goals from Pablo Sarabia. That one was a penalty. Uh, and then Mateus, who put the game to bed 2-0. 
Uh, a very important three points for Porto. They can't be dropping any more points. But of course, the headline here is uh, the players that they might be missing for the Clasico next week, uh, mainly Pedro Porro. I can't understand how or why he wasn't rested. Porto rested Uribe in their game because he was on a yellow card away from missing. And I think they, gave, they obviously gave Grujic the start in that midfield. You know, you've got this guy, you've got Estevez. This guy's been playing a lot recently and Estevez has looked really good when he's gone. You're against Family Cow. And, and perhaps, like you mentioned there, the fact that I don't think Amarin has actually beaten Family Cow as a manager. So maybe that was in his head and he wanted his best team to sort of try and get a result. But for me... Seeing what Poro did against Benfica, knowing what Poro's got in his locker, you, you need him for that game. It's the game of the season and, and you're going to be about him now. And, and I think that's such a big loss and such poor management in my opinion. Well, it's interesting you say that because I think, if I remember correctly, there was a quote from Amarin before the game where he said something along the lines of they were going to prepare for this game in the same way they prepared for a Champions League game, which, you know, is an admirable thing to say and I admire the, the sentiment behind it. But... You know, when you compare that with Porto, like you say, who rested Uribe, and I think also Joao Mario uh, was someone mm. that they rested because he was on a yellow. Now they've got both those key players available for the game and and, and Sporting will be without Porro. And I think it's really important not to underestimate just how big a loss that is going to be because not only have we seen how influential Porro can be from right wing back in recent games, but when you look at the link-up that he's got on that right-hand side with Sarabia, for me... That link up on the right-hand side has definitely been Sporting's biggest attacking asset this season. And when you think about the idea of putting that up against someone like Zaidu Sanusi or Wendell at left-back, we know for Porto, we know that's one of their weakest positions. That could have been such a key area for Sporting to try and attack Porto. Now, Ejgayo would come in. Um, he's a very competent player, but I think you have to be honest and say he's not quite the level of Pedro Porro. He will have to step up and have a good game. Now, we've seen him have good games uh, in the recent past. I thought he was excellent in the task of the Liga. So they'll just be relying on him to have a good game rather than one of the more forgettable games that he has had this season. For me, the biggest difference between Porro and this guy, though, is the fact that, like you touched on there, Porro's attacking ability and the way he can create stuff from that right wing back position, be it offering wit for, you know, putting excellent balls in. I think they're going to miss that because this team has struggled in some games to sort of find that creativity. Just a little thing for me. I, I don't know why Sarabia was on penalties. I know he obviously put it away, but I think like for a player on loan, when you've got Pose and Paulino, you, you just want them to be chalking up their numbers a bit more. I, I just would have given it to them. I, I don't know why. The viewers won't see, but I am nodding my head. Uh, profusely in agreement there. Polino should be on penalties, man. God knows the guy needs the goal-scoring numbers. Um, yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, I haven't got much to say on family Cal Barney. The one thing I will say is uh, another new signing, Teixeira, uh, an attacking midfielder who I know has good experience in this league. I believe he was on the books at Sporting as well. And he had a couple of moments which uh, I enjoyed. Uh, my commiserations go out to Simon Banza because... Oh. missing a penalty for your side is never easy you know um, and it was a, it was an important moment in the game uh, he's been deadly in front of goal this season but yeah sometimes the keeper just goes the right way eh? and there was a moment wasn't there where is it um, is it Cadiz uh, the, yeah. the striker they signed from Benfica who he should have squared it to Banza man who was completely open he just he had a, a poor shot himself um, so that I mean I think that's it Family Cal did have chances in this game didn't they and there, there were moments where you could see why they were a bit of a bogey team but um, we've been a little critical of the sporting but you know this was a this was an important win you know it, it keeps the points coming in and keeps them close to Porto 
There is one thing we should quickly talk about before we move on, though, Barney, because as I just as I just alluded to, there there is an absolutely massive game coming up next weekend, uh, the Clasico between Sporting and Porto, top of the table clash, a game that if Sporting win, the title race is back on for them, and if Porto win, well, you sense that the title race is dead and buried. We just spoke about the fact that Sporting might be missing a few key players. We spoke about the fact that Porto are in a little bit of a transition phase. I'm interested in your thoughts, Barney, just on how the how you see that game going when it does come. Um, it's going to be no, no, it's going to be boring. <laughs> 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 it's a, it's hard one to predict, man, because um, obviously Porto are at home, and I I, I don't have the, the the statistics to hand, but aren't they on like a ridiculous home run? Yeah. So that's going to be hard. I think. The thing I will say is that I feel like Amor and what we saw last season when there were a few crunch games towards the end of the season when they were they were leading, that his team really put in a performance. You know, they worked for their results. I think Contrasel can do the exact same thing with his Porsche team as well. So it's, uh, I, I don't want to predict it, to be honest, but I couldn't tell you which way I think it's going to go. It's going to be a very, very close game. And do you know what, honestly, Barney, I don't think I could predict it because... Uh, I think it's going to be one of the closest games between those two teams in recent times. Obviously, last season, we saw a couple of great games between them. But yeah, I genuinely, genuinely, this is not me sitting on the fence. I think it could go either way. And it's just going to be an absolutely fascinating uh, game to tune into. But we cannot underplay what is at stake in this game because, you know, the title races really, really could come down uh, to this match. I mean, yeah, I was going to ask you, do you think if, if Porto win, that that's it? I would even say they'd be happy with a draw, man. If, absolutely. If, if Porto draw, I'm sure they'll be made up because this is not just about the point swing that happens in this game. This is about the fact that this is one of the few opportunities uh, that either team have to take points off uh, one of the other big three. So it's absolutely massive because you sense that if, if Porto don't drop points in this game, you just wonder where those drop points are going to come from, uh, you know, from a sporting's perspective. So, yeah, absolutely a massive game between these two. And uh, I think next week we're going to be having uh, a really, really long in-depth chat uh, about that game. Well, let's move on, Barney, and talk about some of the games that happened a little bit further down the Primera Liga table. Our game of the week recommendation last week was a very, very easy one. Because this week, we were treated to one of the highlights of the Portuguese football calendar. One of the best derbies in Portugal. The derby domínio between Vitória de Guimarães and Braga. This time, it was held in the Estadio Dom Afonso Henriquez. And despite going into the game on a poor run of form and heavily depleted from the January transfer window, it was Vitória that took home a vital three points, winning the game 2-1. You have to give credit to Vitoria for the result. Those players absolutely got themselves up for this derby game and put in a phenomenal performance. And for me, the only question mark over the Vitoria display was where has that performance been all season? We can't underestimate the importance of that crowd for Vitoria. And, and, and like you mentioned there, the sort of just the real importance of this derby. A lot of players who I've been heavily critical of in this Vitoria team really stepped up. Yeah. And like you mentioned, they they absolutely needed to do this because they have been heavy. They have been stripped of their best assets. Let's not be around the bush in the, in this transfer window. The they only looked like they were going to keep going down, in my opinion. And 
they stepped up. And I'll tell you what, another element we have to add to this, Albert, is Pepper. Because mm-hmm. last season against Braga, when he was manager of Paso de Freire, he got a win and a draw against Braga. So he knows how to, he perhaps knows how to, to play against them. Um, so that obviously helped him as well. And I, sorry to go back to Twitter again, but there was, there's such, there's a couple of really good tweets, Albert. Helda Saar, the, the, the young left back for Vittoria, I think he might have gone at the end of this game, just tweeting a, a picture of a, Vitinia, the Braga striker, shushing the crowd and then just like with a little emoji. It was a, it was a lovely touch. And there was an amazing picture which I saw just scrolling and I haven't been able to find it again, which was a really average picture of um, Juan Fernandez when he just on holiday and he's just wearing a t shirt with his hands and his po- jeans, like uh, with a nice background. And then someone's photoshopped Vitinia into one of his pockets. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I think, joking aside, like you said, man, this the way the Victoria players got themselves up for this was a, a thing I really didn't see coming and I think all credit to them I think that's absolutely right and I didn't predict it either I really thought Braga would would win this and quite comfortably um, but Vittoria completely lived up to the occasion and as you say I think it was a big statement from from the players and the manager really after everything that happened in the January fencing window including obviously losing Marcus Edwards Fale Sacco Andre Andre those players um, and it just showed that you know, at least they've got some fight in them to try and keep the season alive for their fans more than anything, because you're so right to point out that the atmosphere in the stadium was fantastic. Those fans really, really carried their team uh, through that game. Uh, if anybody follows Victoria de Guimarães on social media, they'll know that they do some fantastic camera work, filming the players, filming the, the crowd. So you get a really good sense of what this game was like uh, in the stadium. So I, I recommend I recommend checking those out, definitely. I mean, I, I wanted to talk about the defenders, Borovkovic and Jorge Fernandez, because I have been very critical of them too. But I think that's a combination we haven't seen before. You know, like, like I mentioned, Vitinha was up for this game as well for, <laughs> uh, for Braga. And we know how dangerous he can be. And uh, they did a really, really good job, man. Uh, there, was some, there was some really uh, great defending from them too. Definitely. And, you know, specifically George Fernandez, because I think we have criticised him quite a few times in the past. Uh, but as you say, a very good game, backed up by some excellent stats, not just excellent defensive stats, but interestingly, he completed eight out of 13 long passes, which is really excellent for a centre-back. And Goalpoint, the excellent website who give out loads of stats-based uh, content after the game, were even suggesting that, you know, this is Fernandez's best ever performance in a Victoria shirt. And, you know, I've not watched every game he's played, but uh, I wouldn't be surprised if that was the consensus among uh, Victoria fans and that's just so important as well because we, we've spoken so often about the weaknesses in that Victoria defence they haven't reinforced in the January transfer window so if they can just strengthen that defence using the players they've already got with a player like George Fernandez stepping up removing a few of the errors that he has shown in, in games in the past and becoming a key defender uh, that will be so so valuable for Victoria for the rest of the season I was so happy as well to see Lemiros get that assist for the winner because you saw how obviously Deleuze ran off and celebrated with most of the team, but there was a few players or, or coaches that sort of surrounded Lemiros and gave him like it was a really emotional because you know he lost his starting spot in this team to uh, is it was it Maga uh, the the young uh, young I, I don't think I've seen play for Victoria before so he was dropped and you know it, perhaps people would have assumed he would have stepped into Edwards' position but you know. To come up with that assist, I, I thought was um, so good to see. But Albert, I wanted to talk to you about Deleuze because I know you've watched a lot of Victoria this season. I, I, 
I haven't watched so much, but I wanted to ask you if, if, if you think he's the real deal, because it's a couple of really important goals he's got now uh, from the very, like a very limited opportunities this season. Absolutely. I do think he's the real deal. And it gives me great pleasure to say that. Uh, and I, think back to the first time I watched him play when he made on his debut against Gil Vicente and he scored something of a consolation goal. Vittoria, I think, were 3-0 down and, and he scored a consolation. But straight away, he scored this great goal, great finish, showed great composure. And I just thought, hold on, this doesn't look like a player who is making his debut for the senior team. Um, now, he's a player that I'm sure not a lot of people will know about, seeing as before this season, he'd only ever featured in Victoria's B team. Now, he's 24 years old. He's a fully Angolan international. Uh, and he's only making his third appearance of the season. But in those three appearances, he scored three goals uh, from 134 minutes of football. So that's a goal every 45 minutes uh, that he's played. Um, as I said, from the first time that I saw him, I thought he looked much better than some kind of reserve team player making his debut. But I think, yeah, definitely Pepper might have found himself a little gem there, especially with Edwards gone. I think, you know, there's an opportunity for more attacking players to get on the field. Uh, I think what will be interesting now for me, Barney, is to see him given a run of starts in the side because obviously he's been coming off the bench to make an impact. But if he's given a run of starts, given a few 90 minutes, it'll be interesting to see whether he can cope with that, whether he can uh, keep that consistent form that we've seen over a more extended period of time. Well, this was obviously a disappointing result for Braga off the back of a couple of good performances. And that's sort of a sentence that I feel like we've said several times this season uh, with, with Braga. Yeah. I mean, um, it was obviously a, a very well-fought game from both teams. I thought that Braga had their fair share of chances. But I know this is quite a broad question, one that we often ask about Braga, but the way the season's turned out, was there a real opportunity for Braga to catch Benfica, seeing the slips they've had this season? And is it down to their inconsistency that, that, that they, they haven't built, haven't made it closer? I think, I think with the benefit of hindsight, you could say it possibly was, but I don't think at the beginning of the season, when you looked at the squads of the big three, you ever really thought that there was a realistic opportunity for Braga to upset one of those places. But obviously, as we've seen with uh, the issues that Benfica have had, there was perhaps an opportunistic possibility for Vittoria to make their way into third place. But I think we've just got to remember that there is still, despite the problems that Benfica have had, there is still a massive gulf in resources, in player quality, in squad depth between these two sides. So I don't think we can be too harsh. We can be disappointed because I'm sure it would be an interesting story and good for Braga to qualify for the Champions League. Um, but I don't think realistically they have actually missed out on anything other than what would have been uh, a great overachievement for me if they were to really fight for that third place spot. I think particularly with this result, this was always going to be a hard game. Like it, it's not like a, it's a surprising loss because the nature of it. I do like like I mentioned. I think they created a, a lot of chances, and I think um, the other end of that, I think, which was where it sort of perhaps came down to tactics in this game, was the the few mistakes they we saw from them trying to build out from the back. You know, they they they. they Victoria put a lot of pressure on them high up the field. And I think that was a bit of a, a mistake on Braga's part because it just didn't, it really didn't help them in, in moments. Yeah, I don't, I don't actually think it was a terrible performance from Braga. I just think they were well beaten. And to be honest, probably didn't expect Victoria to play in the manner that they did. They really didn't get out of the blocks in that first half. I think they were a bit stunned by 
the goal that went in and the intensity from Vittoria. Uh, so the first half was a bit of a write-off. Obviously, in the second half, they did well to come out uh, and get that early goal that they needed. Uh, but even with Vittoria going down, going down to 10 men, uh, they just could not kick on. And they, you know, at the end of the day, were caught on the counter-attack. It's obviously disappointing for them. And of course, they could have played better. But ultimately, uh, I think that they just have to look at themselves and say, fair enough, we were well beaten in this game, you know. Oh, but on that red card, I think, is that his third red card this season for Alpha Samedo? He's got the most red cards of any outfield player in the top six leagues, apparently, this season. It's unbelievable. But also, I swear, like, when he got his first two, I saw a stat saying that um, he'd never got a red card in his career before. <laughs> <laughs> well, if that is true, then he's making up for lost time. <laughs> I mean, what, what this result did do for the league, Albert, in terms of those three teams, Braga, Gilvesente, Vittoria, eight points between Braga and Vittoria and Gilvesente plumbing in the middle and 34 points. Oh, it's getting so tasty, this. I mean, I would love Vittoria to have a little resurgence and be that third name vying for potential fourth spot. It is definitely getting very tasty. And as we've said multiple times, I think that battle for Europe is one of the most exciting uh, parts of the Premier League of the season. Well, look, let's get straight into then, Barney, another team uh, competing for those European places. Uh, Gilles Vicente, who played Santa Clara at home, it ended in a 2-2 draw. Uh, and another really, really interesting game from this week for me, Barney. A healthy share of drama and controversy to this one uh, as Santa Clara entered the game with nine players on the pitch it's fair to say that come the end of the game Santa Clara felt very hard done by uh, particularly by the officials in this game they released a very sternly worded post-match statement uh, they criticised multiple decisions in the game uh, to award Gil Vicente a penalty without checking VAR allegedly uh, the decision to award Lincoln a second yellow card again apparently without checking VAR uh, VAR not checking a potential handball by Gil Vicente, which would have seen him given a penalty. And finally, uh, the decision to award Chrysan to Yellow Cars resulting in a sending off. Now, it seems that Santa Clara's main uh, complaints were about the lack of VAR usage in key incidents rather than the incidents themselves. Uh, obviously, we have to say that we cannot confirm whether VAR was used or not. It's possible that it was used just quickly uh, and didn't interrupt play. But if those allegations are correct, you have to say it is a fair argument that the game wasn't necessarily officiated fairly. I, I've got a side with Santa Clara. I think they had a legit complaint for most of those decisions, particularly the, the two yellow yeah, cards for both Lincoln and Kreiser. I thought the second ones for both of them were just, whoa, I, 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 they weren't yellows for me. Well, look, let me, let me lay out what I made of those situations. For me, the second yellow given to Lincoln is an absolute disgrace. And I think that a proper VAR check would have rightly overturned what was a mistake by the referee. It was the wrong call. It wasn't even marginal. It was just an outright mistake. There is no foul by Lincoln on the Gil Vicente player. If anything, the foul could be argued to go the other way. Now, I don't think you can complain about uh, the penalty that was awarded to Gil Vicente. I think that was a fair penalty. And in my opinion, Barney, I do think that the two yellow cards given to Kryzan were correct. All of those decisions that I described there, Barney, were correct. But again, I think the issue here is that if VAR is not being used as and when it should be, as clearly it wasn't in the case of Lincoln's second yellow, um, I think that's kind of a separate issue, really, that that Santa Clara are entitled to feel aggrieved by. Well, look, apart from all this this refereeing business, Albert, how good was this game? Like, Fantastic. It was so good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
like, oh, it's, it's interesting to me that these two teams are 10 points apart because we've been waxed about Gilbert Sante all season and, and rightly so, they've been absolutely brilliant. But this resurgence from Santa Clara, if they had been like this all season, that they would be in the exact same spot as Gilbert Vicente, if, if not higher, in my opinion, because... I mean, Mario Silva, the, the manager who's come in after, what, how many managers are there before, two or three? It's two wins and two draws in the league now. And, and they've been playing some really, really good football. They deserve to be higher than they are, if you see what I mean. No, I totally agree. And I think they, that was demonstrated by the fact that they went toe-to-toe with one of the best teams in the league outside the top three this season in this game. And, and they have uh, had some excellent results recently. Of course, Barney, let's not forget, they beat Sporting 3-2 not very long ago. So this is definitely a team that's managed to turn a corner. And I think it's a performance that they can be proud of, even if uh, they will be disappointed uh, with the end result. Um, forgive me, Barney, for bringing in negatives into this conversation but I do think that there was one issue uh, for, from Gilles Vicente's perspective, and that was the fact that they were missing their regular keeper, uh, Shiga Freli, the Slovenian keeper signed this summer and who's done so well now. Uh, I don't think we've really mentioned him enough on this podcast because he's been a fantastic goalkeeper. I think he's been up there with the likes of Samuel Portugal, Adan and Diogo Costa as one of the best goalkeepers in the league. Uh, obviously he was missing from this game and instead of Gilbert had to rely on young 20-year-old Brazilian goalkeeper Andrew. Now I said it last week Barney, I really, really never enjoy criticising young players Um, but I just did think he struggled in this game. He was very nervous and and very erratic uh, I thought in his play and unfortunately uh, people can feel free to disagree with me on this if if they want. I think uh, unfortunately I, I think he was at fault for both goals, really. I think his positioning for Kryzan's header was really poor. He could have done a lot better there. Uh, and the attempts that he made at saving the second goal for me, Barney, was really not good enough considering the shot came in at a very good height for him. Uh, and it was right at him as well. It wasn't too far either side. So unfortunately, I did think that that showed how important Freddie has been for Gil Vicente. And perhaps, you know, if they'd had him in the show, in the side, Gil Vicente would have been looking at a very different result. The only thing I'll say to sort of back up Andrew is that he had a fantastic game against Benfica in the week, which okay. we, we obviously didn't get to cover. But yeah, I think well, he's, he's only 20. So, but like you said, I think the, yeah, one of the keys to Gil Vicente's success has been, as you rightly say, free day and goal for them. Um, so the better, the sooner he comes back, the better. But Santa Clara had a lot of chances in this game. They were, they were, they were really good going forward. We're obviously seeing Lincoln, Hit a bit of prime. Kryzan as well, who I know a lot of people are really bigging him up. I've seen okay performances and very good performances, but I think we're starting to see a more consistently uh, very good performances from him. I think there's a real opportunity for Mario Silva to push Santa Clara on, you know, and, and really try and hunt down Marito, Portman, and Estrel. I think that once again, we could see. Santa Clara in the Europa Conference League spaces if, if they if they keep this form up because I know they were seemed a bit of a basket case the first half of the season but they're at the core of it they're still a, quite a well run team you know and and they have a really good good core group of players which you know they might lose a couple of big ones but they had a fantastic window to keep Lincoln and Marita and there's obviously reasons why those players have stayed yeah as you say plenty plenty of quality in that squad and the form that you just mentioned, they've now won three and drawn two of their last five, including that 3-2 win over Sporting. Uh, and that leaves them in 10th place in the table. So considering where they were just a few weeks ago, 
you know, they're really doing fantastically well at the moment. Well, let's talk about our last game of the week, Barney. Boa Vista, who took on Vizela uh, in another interesting game from this week. Boa Vista and Vizela drew 2-2 in the end. And just like in the Gil Vicente versus Santa Clara game, it was the away side that twice went ahead with the home side equalising twice. Um, I want to start with a positive from this game, Barney, and praise a player that I've wanted to praise a lot recently, and that's Boa Vista's Czech striker, Peter Musa, the six foot two, lanky, 23 year old striker who's now got seven goals in 17 games this season. And I swear, every time I watch this guy, he impresses me a little bit more. The first couple of times I saw him, I thought, yep, looks like a decent little player. But this time I watched him and I thought he was absolutely phenomenal. I only expect his goal tally this season to go up. Uh, and I think he should be pushing himself now to get in between that 10 to 15 goal mark for the season. He just works so hard, Barney. He's so determined to score. He was denied a goal early in the first half, uh, but made up for it with a fantastic finish in the second. I think you've probably watched a little bit more of him than I have this season. And I, I think you're you're also a fan of, of Peter Musa. Oh, I'm a huge fan of him. I think he, he probably deserved a, a couple more goals in this game. He, he's just a menace, Albert. He's a real... I think he won 10 aerials in this game. He obviously had, he had five shots as well. He's a really interesting player for me. And, and there's also some interesting rumours coming out about him as well because I've seen a story that Boa Vista haven't paid his loan fee to Slavia Prague, the, the, the club he's on loan from. Oh, wow. Um, and also that he hasn't received some of his wages too. So... I think that's that's worth keeping an eye on because I mean I mean surprise surprise Bo Vista but you know he he could well be on the move and I think um you know I've, if I was a big club I'd be looking at him because I think the thing as well which is really key um trait for a striker to have I think he can lead the line well by himself he can play by himself as a striker I think that personally I think that's a very hard role to play so yeah he's going to be a, he's going to be at a bigger club this time next season there's no doubt about that you mentioned him hoping to get up to the ten and fifteen goal mark this season I think that's a real That'll be the real real test. I think I've liked what I've seen. I think he's very skillful. I think he's very fast. He's obviously got that incredible physical presence. But I think, mm. like I mentioned, I think he should have got maybe one or two more goals in this game. Yeah, they had a fair few chances. Oh, but another player I wanted to hear some praise on is someone I've, I've absolutely loved um, all season is Hamash, the left-back for Bovista. He deserves to be in the bracket of one of the best left-backs in this league, in my opinion. Absolutely, he contributes so well. You know, he, not, he, he contributes in goals, assists. Um, he's a real attacking threat, but also can defend. And I think he really works well in the, the, the back five that Bovista played. Obviously, a, re- a very nice celebration for his goal. I was just his penalty man, which which could have won it for Bervista. <laughs> well, let's just explain oh. that, Barney, for anybody who's not watched the game. Obviously, Yanis Hamash, you had a great game and scored a penalty earlier in the game. Uh, I think that was Bervista's first goal. Missed a penalty in the 10th minute of stoppage time in the 100th minute of the game, which would have given Bervista all three points. And he was obviously devastated, Barney. I think um, it was really nice scene after the game when Petit made a point of going to kind of console him because he was obviously devastated. But I totally agree with your assessment of him. I think he's one of Bovis's best players. Um, I remember on my trip to Porto a few months back, um, I got to see the Porto derby in the Porto Stadium, a game when Porto completely dominated the whole game and really battered Porto from beginning to end. And then Yanis Hamash just pops up with this moment of manage, magic and scores a wonderful long-range goal. And I think that really demonstrated the kind of quality he has uh, as a left fullback, someone who can score goals, who can get assists and can really help his team all over the pitch. So, um, yeah, definitely a player that 
that I'm a big fan of. Uh, and you mentioned his celebration for the goal. It was, again, another touching scene from the game involving Hamash. He made a point after the game of celebrating uh, with a shirt which commemorated the death of a young Moroccan boy called Rayan. Uh, some kind of tragic accident in Morocco resulted in his death. It's a story that has kind of caught the attention of a lot of media around the world. And he made a point of uh, commemorating that story in his celebration. Yeah, again, I think just another testament to the kind of person that he is and fantastic player at the same time. Oh, I wanted to talk about Petit, the the Burmester manager, because I feel like I've been very positive about him since he's become the manager of Burmester, as, as a lot of people have been as well. And, you know, he has taken a poor squad and a very weak uh, squad in terms of depth. And he has drastically improved them for sure. But there have been an awful lot of draws. They've got 11 draws for the season, which is the most uh, by anyone in the league. More often than not, we see Boavista, they go behind and they're very good at getting sort of back in, into the game by getting a goal. But we really need to see, in my opinion, a few... A, them controlling games, going being the team to to get ahead first, because it, if if they if they manage to do that, you know they, they they it would be an absolute miracle for what Petit's done with the, with this group of players. Yeah, I think what you're talking about there. If I'm being totally honest, I think I see them as more long term aims for Boavista. I still think, and this might be unpopular with Boavista fans if any are listening, because I still think Boavista's aim this season is just to avoid not getting sucked into a relegation battle. Um, so I think, you know, draws are not the end of the world if they're not losing games and they're putting points on the board that keep them uh, keep them in safety. But yeah, I agree. Now that they've got Petit in, I know they've had a few managers recently. Petit just signed a new long-term deal. I think that's going to keep him with the club till 2024. He's a manager that knows the club. We've seen an upturn in performance since he's joined. So I think there's a lot of positives and a lot of now long-term planning that they can start to do. I think long-term planning is not something they've done a lot of recently, both in terms of their signings and their managers. So um, I think it's important that that he stays on as manager and he's doing good work. And I think we can definitely hope for better things from them in the future, but I'm not going to hammer them if they get a bunch of draws this season, just because I think, like I said, at the end of the day, this season for me is all about just not avoiding any disasters, really. I wanted to... Um... Praise one player. I know we talked a lot about Vizella last week, um, but Samu for Vizella, who got his the two goals for them in this game. Just because interestingly, he didn't start the game. He actually came on for the injured um Guzzo, um, who's also been in good form recently. But you know, came on, get his got his two goals. It's just a, a midfielder that I've really enjoyed watching this season. He he, he can do a, a bit of everything, I think. And uh, you know, the uh, he has popped up with quite a few goals for Vizella this season. So um yeah, he he really stood out for me, and I, I definitely a player because he's he, he's twenty five. I think he's never really played much at the top level, if my memory serves me correctly. It's, he's been interesting to watch because a person sort of making the step up to to the the Premier League of this season and, and actually delivering and, and and looking like a real really really good midfielder. Yeah, as you say, we spoke about Vizela. I think we've spoken about Vizela for the last couple of weeks, which is nice because they're a team that definitely worth talking about. A lot of players who have only ever played most of their careers in the lower leagues, now stepping up and looking like really uh, solid players in the Primera Liga. So definitely a team uh, to keep an eye on in the future. All right, well, I think that's us just about out of time uh, for this week's show. But before we go, we will leave you with our customary Game of the Week recommendations as we recommend a couple of games that we think will be worth watching uh, in the Primera Liga this weekend. Of course, the obvious game, Barney, that will just get out of the way straight away is the Sporting versus Porto game on Friday night. 
Uh, that kickoff is at 8.15 p.m. UK time. Uh, and for all our UK listeners, that will be available to watch on BT Sport 3. If I didn't make it completely clear already, this is an absolutely must-watch game. I think it's easy to say that this is the biggest game of the season so far, probably will be the biggest game of the season. So for all of our listeners, we recommend you watch that. It's going to be a massive talking point uh, on next week's podcast. So definitely make sure you tune into that one. But let's not forget that there's a whole weekend of Premier League of fixtures coming up. And me and Barney were just saying off air that actually it's a really nice week uh, for Premier League of fixtures. On Saturday, you've got a number of good games. You've got Braga versus Passos. That's at 3.30. Porto Menendez versus Boa Vista. That's at 6. Uh, and even on Sunday, you've got a couple of nice games as well. So Barney, if you had to pick another game from the weekend to recommend to our listeners, what would you pick? I really like the look of Saturday. I think I said that last week, though, and, and I think two of those games turn out being nil-nil. But <laughs> this Saturday... <laughs> it's going to be um, different. <laughs> <laughs> Portsmouth's Bovis is the one that really stands out for me. I think yeah, that could be a, a, a nice little game because Portsmouth's obviously had that um, disappointing loss to Passos Ferreira last, at the weekend. So, you know, that, that could be quite tight. And then the other game on Saturday as well, uh, before that, Braga Passos Ferreira. Passos Ferreira sort of getting into a bit of... getting into their groove, I think, a bit now. And... Um, and you, and you never know Braga. <laughs> you never know what Braga you're going to get. And that one's a little bit of a, a semi-local derby as well. So that'll be a nice one to watch. Uh, my recommendation is if after Friday night and Saturday, you've still not had enough of the Premier League, then on Sunday night, and Sunday night's always a good time to watch football. Uh, you've got Vizela versus Gil Vicente. And I think, you know, that's two teams that uh, are relatively evenly matched. And also both look to play really nice attacking football. So I think um, for a neutral, that could be a really, really interesting game to watch. That's on 8.30pm on Sunday night. Well, look, I think we'll leave it there for this week. Uh, Thank you very much for listening. Uh, If you've enjoyed the show, you could leave us a little review on Apple Podcasts and a star rating on Spotify, depending on what podcast service you use. If you want to get in contact with us, you can find us on Twitter, at Longball Football, uh, and we're always happy to get involved in conversations with your comments and your messages uh, and anything like that. So do get involved in the conversation over there. But that just leaves me to say thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you again next week. Yeah, see you next week.